0: And turn to John chapter 14. John 14 and our reading for this evening is verse 1 to verse 14. And our theme for tonight is Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. In verse 1, John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions... If it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works." May the God, may the Lord add the blessing to the reading of His Word, and uh, I'll just pray once more. Um, that God will help me, Lord. I I pray that You would help us to to have our eyes on Christ this evening. Um, we think of what Paul said in Galatians that Christ was um, crucified before their very eyes, and we know that wasn't literal, but as as if in their hearts' eye they saw Christ, and we pray for that this evening that in our hearts' eyes we would see Jesus high and lifted up, exalted. Um, and that that would fill us with courage and joy in our lives for the week ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, sorry to break the bad news to you, but this week is probably going to be a week of failure for most of you. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, you're going to sin this week. You're going There's going to be times this week where you're going to get it wrong. Um, you are going to stumble you are going to struggle you are going to feel christ uh this week and maybe that's in how you treat your friends or your loved ones your family members Um, maybe it's in just some thoughts you know you shouldn't be having but you enter into them anyway maybe it's the words you're saying about certain people that you know you shouldn't say but you choose to say them anyway or maybe it's in deeds uh, that you commit but you are you are going to sin this week you're going to get it wrong and me too by the way so uh, and you're going to—you're probably going to suffer this week as well. There's going to be there's going to be difficult moments this week, whether it's sickness or loneliness or uh, mental health problems. Um, every one of us is going to go through something this week that will be that will be difficult and testing. And the only answer for both of our our sin and our suffering is Jesus Christ. And it's gazing on him. It's a look at him as the only answer. And knowing more and more about who he is and what he's done for us and who we are because of Jesus is the only way. uh, It's the only place to look in those moments. And again, what we want to argue this evening is that eternal life is already here in daily knowing Jesus. Eternal life is already here in daily knowing Jesus. I'm not waiting for eternal life. I have eternal life. I'm just waiting for the fullness of it uh, to come when I have full locks of hair once again. And let me just read a, a few a, a quote from a man called Richard Sibbs. He's been a real blessing to me these last few months. He's 400 years dead, uh, and it's some of the things he says is beautiful. He says, "The victory." The Christian victory, the Christian life, does not lie with us. It lies with Christ. And he has taken on himself both to conquer for us and to conquer in us. The victory lies not on our own strength to get it. If it lay with us, we would rightly fear. But Christ will maintain his own rule in us and take part on our behalf against our corruptions. Because they are his enemies, As well as ours. So let us not look so much at our enemies. Or our failures. Or our suffering. But to who our captain is. Not at what threatens us. But let us look at what he promises. None is here overcome. But that Jesus will not fight for that person. It's a comfort giving thing. To consider Christ properly. To know what love. Mercy and strength. We have laid up for us. In the breast of Jesus Christ. And I'll finish with this. Don't allow Satan or your mind to transform Christ and make him other than he is. So what we're looking to look at tonight, I I really hope that it will just lay forth who Jesus really is to us. We know it already, but I need to be reminded every day of my life. And I'm sure you're the same as me. Daily reminders of who Christ is and what he's able to do for us. So let's look at this. In John chapter 14, we're going to look at verse 1 to verse 14. Again, the argument is that Jesus and knowing him is already eternal life. And um, we're we're in the upper room still. Christ is in the upper room. He's telling his disciples some really important things before he leaves. Uh, again, these words are weighty and significant. They're the, the final words before he goes to die in John chapter 18 when, the, when, when the, we get to the, as we build up to the crucifixion. And so these words, these chapters are really significant. And again, to, if you want to know the heart of Jesus, John 13 to John 17 just lays it bare for us to see what's on his heart. What is his great desire? What's, what's um, important to him? So, the first thing we look at today is in, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 6. Very well-known verses of scripture, and and we're going to say this. Jesus is the way to belong to the Father. Jesus is the way to belong to the Father. And, uh, I was talking to someone just today, and, uh, they were saying about how most religions are very similar. Uh, all religions are quite similar. And, uh... And I agreed with him. And you're like, how can you preach? How can you get up here and say that? I agree. All, most religions are very similar. There's certain moral rules that you have to keep. And the consequences for not keeping those rules are some form of punishment. Whether that's hell or reincarnation into your cockroach. Or whatever it is. Or someone from Bath or whatever. Uh, but but, it's, but it's, there's, there's, there's commandments. And then there's the consequences for breaking those commandments. And I was able to explain the difference in Christianity, however is that what are we going to do with all the failures we've already done? And, and what are we going to do with the fact that we're going to continually have weakness and failure from today onwards? Um, and the answer, of course, to that is Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. He's the only way to belong to the Father. Jesus is not the only way to get to the Father. He's the only way to belong to the Father. Every single person in this planet will stand before the Father one day, right? Uh, all religions They say all roads lead to Rome. All religions lead to God. Every religion leads to God. One day you'll stand before God as his child forgiven or as his enemy who sinned against him. And that Jesus is the only way to belong to the Father. So let's look at it. In verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And this is just really significant because in John chapter 11, John chapter 12, and in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus' heart has been troubled. Jesus has been troubled in all three of those chapters. And now he comes and he looks at his disciples and says, but don't you be troubled. I'm troubled, but don't you be troubled. I'm distressed, but don't you be distressed. I'm overwhelmed, but don't you be overwhelmed. My stomach's churning as we looked at this morning, but don't yours be. And why can he say that? How can this be so, how can he say that and it not be hypocrisy? And the answer is this. Jesus takes our trouble and our distress so that we don't have to. He's troubled and he's distressed so that we don't have to be. And the answer to not be in trouble, what's the answer in verse 1? If you look at verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled. And what's the answer? Is that it? Is that where he leaves it? Don't be troubled. And you're like, okay, do my best. Don't let your heart be troubled. What? Believe in me. Look to me. Trust me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And, and, and what's going to happen with these disciples, these 11 guys who are in the upper room with Jesus, is in a, a few hours' time, their faith is about to be shaken to its very core. And they're going to be troubled. Their leader is about to be betrayed. They're all going to flee and deny that they ever knew Christ. He's going to be rejected by the nation. The nation who he's supposed to be the keen of are going to completely reject him. He's going to be publicly humiliated, tortured, and slaughtered. He's going to be crucified. And in the Old Testament it says, Cursed is he that hangs on a tree. He's going to die. And so they're they're in for a troubling time. They're in for faith shaken to its core experiences. And Jesus looks at these 11 men and says, Don't be troubled. Believe me. Trust me. As you believe in the Father, believe me. Now we get to verse 2 to verse 3. And these are really well-known verses. We use them quite a lot at funerals and different things. But I want us to try and hear it afresh from a slightly different angle than what we normally go with this verse with these passages i've heard lots of sermons on them i i've heard some of you preach this passage and it's fine the things you've been saying are great but i want us to go into the upper room with jesus and his disciples and hear what's really being said here uh, in this passage so in verse two in my father's house are many mansions and when we see the word father's house what do we think of in my Father's house. What do we naturally... When we're reading John 14... In my Father's house... Where do our minds go? Heaven. Okay. In John's gospel so far... Up until this point... When it's referring to the Father's house... What's being spoken about? It's the temple in Jerusalem. Make not my Father's house... A den of thieves. It's a house of prayer, right? So it's, it was originally the temple, right? When it, make not my Father's house was the temple. So... my father's house you with me in in my father's temple in this temple there are many mansions but when we got to jesus in john chapter 2 and he says what sign do you have that you are who you say you are and he says i will destroy this temple and in three days i'll raise it back up again what was he speaking about his himself and what we looked at Quite a long time ago in John chapter 2, when I was preaching through that, was the the clash of temples, remember. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the Father's house. And we know that the temple is just a shadow. It's a a symbol of God coming to dwell with man, like he did in Eden and the tabernacle and now the temple. It's just a symbol. And now Jesus has actually come as the temple, as God's house. And now Jesus is looking at these 11 men. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. Now the word mansion, I'm sorry to break it. I don't, I don't like to do this, but we're going to have to. It doesn't, when we picture mansion, we picture the, you know, the stuff. We picture stuff like bath, you know? Places like you drive through some nice parts, like mansions. The word mansion And originally in this passage just means this, a permanent dwelling place for many people. A permanent dwelling place for many people. So listen to what Jesus is saying. In my Father's house is a permanent dwelling place for many people. Well, what's he saying if you break it down? In me. In me, there is place for many people. In me. Jesus is the Father's house. In Christ, there is eternal residence for many people. That's why when you read the epistles, when you read the the works of the Apostle Paul, and constantly, if you underlined it, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him, in him, by him, through him, constantly, because Christ is the Father's house, and in him, there's eternal residence for many people. And so Jesus continues, and in me, In my father's house are many mansions, many permanent places for abode. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. When we see these words, verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you, what do we normally think he's saying? Speaking from the 21st century, what do we think he's saying? I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. But where's Jesus going after this conversation? He's not going there. Where's he going? He's going to the cross. I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. I'm going to do something that's going to open the doors for many people to have a permanent abode in the Father's house, which is himself. Jesus is literally about to go to the cross, to death, to the grave, and then he'll go to the Father and this word, to prepare a place for you, the word prepare here, it's used, uh, in, in this old Greek word, it's, it's used in the idea of sending someone ahead to level the road for, for, a, for an embassy coming. Like the king's coming, or a bunch of important people are coming, and someone's sent ahead to clear the way and get the road level. And it's the place is being prepared. The way is being prepared. And Jesus is saying, I'm going ahead of you to level out the road for you to get to this eternal abode. And how does Jesus prepare that way for us? Well, it's by going into the belly of death and carving out a way for us to come through it with him. That's how he does it. So I know that when we read this verse, verse 2, we we picture uh, heaven and and mansions and Jesus building all these mansions. And some terrible books are written about that. Not that that's a bad interpretation, but there are really awful books written about it too. Like every person here is going to get your favorite sofa and your your favorite brand of fridge. Just ridiculous stuff. Um, But what's actually being said here is that Jesus is the, the permanent abode. And he's going to the cross and he's laying out a path. So that many people could come and experience eternal life in him. Jesus has gone ahead. How do you and I have a place prepared for us in heaven? Because of what Christ has done for us already. That's the preparation. The preparation has already been made. When he went to the cross and died for your sins. And said it is paid for. It is finished. And he rose again three days later. And he goes on to say in verse 3. I will come again. And what do we picture when he says that here in the 21st century? That surely means his second coming. But listen, he's talking to his disciples as he's about to go and be crucified. And he's saying, I will come again. So what's he talking about here? The resurrection. I'm coming back from the dead. I'm carving out the way through death. And I'm going to come back out through death again. And I'm going to make the way for you. I'm coming Again. I'm going to rise from the dead. Now we know in part he's speaking about his future return. But at least in part also he's talking about the fact. I'm leaving for a moment. I'll be back in three days. <laughs> right? And he says, he goes on to say. And after I've come again, I will receive you to myself. Because of his death and resurrection. Once Jesus rose from the dead. We were in Christ. Those who trusted him were than in him, and received in him. And then he goes on to say that where I am, there you may be also. Where's Jesus right now? He's in the fa- He's with the Father, right? At the right hand side of the Father. Where are you right now? Same place. Ephesians chapter 2 says, right now, in this very present moment, physically you might be sitting in Union Chapel, come down, but spiritually Ephesians 2 verse 6, You're seated with Christ. You are with him right now in glory. Because why? Because eternal life is not coming one day. Eternal life is here. You have eternal life in Jesus Christ. So I I hope that that's kind of helped us a little bit with verse 2 to 3. And got the real meaning, squeezed the real meaning out of this passage. um, That we kind of read a few more things into. That I would say is not really there. But you know, it's not heresy. It's okay to... To say that Jesus is coming back and he's preparing. It's not, it's not wrong. It's just I think Christ is saying a little bit more than that as he's talking to his disciples. Now if you're a bit puzzled about what I've been saying here. You're in good company because in verse 5 Thomas is a bit puzzled. And he says, Lord we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the sixth I am. Jesus has said, I am the bread of life in chapter 6. I am the light of the world in chapter 8 and 9. I am the door in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd in chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life in chapter 11. And now he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way. To the Father. I am the truth, the divine truth of who God is in His fullness. And I am the life, the source of eternal life. Jesus is both the way and He's the destination. So Jesus is the way to belong to the Father, verse 1 to verse 6. Second of all, we, say, we see this in verse 7 down to verse 11 Jesus is the way to know the Father. He's the way to know the Father. Verse 7 to verse 11. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you have seen him. Jesus is speaking into what he's been discussing. He's the way to know the Father and he's the way to see the Father here. Philip's a bit confused this time. And uh, so if you're confused, you're in good company. And uh, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that is sufficient for us. And it's kind of like Philip's having this sort of, uh, if we could be like Moses and see God in his glory, that would be great. And what Jesus is saying, Jesus' response is, you have something even better than what Moses had. Because Moses had to go up there and see like, the fire and hide away in the cleft, and you're seeing something even greater. You're seeing God clothed and flesh. Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say to show us the Father? In verse 9, basically, Jesus is saying, I am God incarnate. I'm God. And if you want to know what God's like, you've been with God for three years. This is what he's like. This is who he is. I am God the Son. He goes on, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Do you not believe that? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is also in me. In other words, believe that I am God the Son, in in unity with God the Father. And if you don't believe me for my words, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. We'll go to a few passages within John already. Jesus has been saying this all throughout John's gospel. So uh, if you don't mind, we'll we'll just keep reading through John a little bit. And we'll pick it back up in chapter 14. So if we go to chapter 1, John chapter 1. And we'll get verse 14 to start with. It says, In the word, that's Jesus, Became flesh and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us like a temple. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. In verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. So John, in John 14 Jesus says you've seen the father. And here no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father He has declared him. He has revealed him. He has made him known. If we go over to chapter 5, and we get verse 19. And we see a little bit about what Jesus is saying here about his words and his works are from the authority of the Father declaring who he is. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Down to verse 36, he says, But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. If we scroll over to chapter 7 and verse 16, It says, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but it's his who sent me. In verse 28 to verse 29, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him for I am from him and he sent me. If we go over to chapter 8 and verse 19. They they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would also know my father. Chapter 10 and verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness of me. Verse thirty. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And in verse 38, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And finally, chapter 12 and verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own. Or my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus is saying that his whole earthly ministry has been with the authority of the Father, declaring the Father to the people. So here here's the, the summary of what Jesus is saying in these verses. If you want to know what God is really like because there's times, if you'll be honest with me, there's times when you mess up or you, when, you're, when, you're, when you've sinned or you've failed in some way or you're tempted in some way or there's times where you're suffering in some way or there's something really hard happening in your life and in those moments, there is the temptation to doubt God. Is it just me? I don't mind. I'm leaving later on, so whatever. It could just be me. When, I'm, when, I've, when I've failed, when I've got it wrong, I think... Christ will want nothing to do with me after that. He must be so ashamed of me. He'll be disappointed in me for that. He, he's going he's gonna to play hard to get now with me. If I pray to him now, he's not going to listen to me. I've messed up in such a way that Christ will, will he's going to have to make me sit in the naughty chair for a couple hours before he talks to me. Right? And we start thinking those things. Or when, we're, when, it, when it's not necessarily sin, but it's, it's maybe it's mental health issues. And you're thinking, he must be so sick of me. He must be so fed up with me feeling this weakness and this vulnerability all the time. He must love these strong people and with me he's just about putting up with. Or when you're suffering or something's hard happening in your life you're thinking he's out to get me in some way. He's not there for me in some way. He, he, he doesn't care for me. He's hard. He's cold. And I, I'm tell- I just want to be honest I've gone through all of those emotions as a, as a, as a believer. In the last year <laughs> right, uh, And the answer to that is to know what the Father is truly like. And how do we know what the Father is truly like? Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. It's to read the scriptures and to read the Gospels and see the heart of Christ in the Gospels. And once you see the heart of Christ, open it up in the Word of God through the Gospel accounts, what you're seeing is that's what God's truly like. That's what he's like towards sinners and towards sufferers and what's he like towards sufferers when he sees the when he sees the widow woman who's just burying her son so she's lost her husband she's lost her son which means back then she's lost status and income as well and what does it say when jesus sees her there are crowds of people and jesus sees this one woman and what does it say he had compassion for her and what does that word compassion mean? It means his stomach churned in pain at her pain. So when you're suffering, you can know that's how Christ, that's how Christ sees me. And that's how he cares for me. And uh, Thomas Goodwin wrote a beautiful book, The Heart of Christ. And he, he argues this. You can read the Gospels and think, but that's what he was like on earth. Surely he's not like that anymore. And Thomas Goodwin writes page after page after page, convincing you, He's exactly the same there too. He cares exactly the same. His heart is exactly moved in the same way when he sees his people suffer. And perhaps then it's, maybe it's not suffering, but it's sin. And it's weakness. And it's, it's failure. And you think about Jesus walking up to Zacchaeus this morning. And saying, I'm coming to your house today. Sinner. Reprobate. Unclean. Filth. I'm coming to your house today. And you think about the, the prostitute who, who would wash his feet and he would allow it to happen. And he would look at her in the eye and say, daughter of Israel, your sins are forgiven. This is our Christ. This is what he's like in our sin and in our suffering. And, and so when we want to know what is God like, you open the scriptures, you open the gospels, and you see Christ and you're like, that's, that's my God. That's what he's like. All right, we get to the next little section and we'll wrap it up here. In in, in the third point uh, this evening, Jesus is the way to belong to the Father, verse one to six. He's the way to know the Father, verse seven to 11. And he's the way to pray to the Father in verse 12 to verse 14. These are powerful verses. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In greater works, the he will do because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, in verse twelve, it's kind of puzzling. Jesus says that uh, that, that there's going to be people who are going to do greater works than Jesus himself. Like, how on earth can you do greater works than that? But Jesus said it, so it must be true. And what Jesus is saying here is that these 11 men who are gathered around him in this upper room, they're going to do greater works than Christ did. And you're thinking, how can they do greater works than him? And it's because, I'm going to just give this out to you and you can push back, but in the book of Acts, you watch this, this message of Christ and these miracles spreading further and further and further across the whole known world at the time. That's, that's great. That's pretty great. great. And not only is it three years of Jesus' ministry, but it's decades of ministry as the gospel spreads, as healings come, as miracles take place in these apostles' lives. And then also the great work of the book of Acts and the first day of the church is born and the the gospel is preached by Peter and the others and 3,000 people come to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. And Jesus never had that in his life. He had people following him, but you remember in John 6, he had a few thousand people, and then they all left because they didn't believe his word. And now in Pentecost, you have 3,000 people, and a couple of weeks later, 5,000 people. So it's greater works in the sense of the skill and the, and the multitude that are being reached by these people. But it's all in Jesus' name, and it's all in his authority. It's at the end of verse 12, because I go to my Father, these things I will be so. When we get to this, this lovely promise... Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. And what happens is, as we pray, and we do this as a church, we pray in the name of Jesus, don't we? In Jesus' name, amen. And we're saying, we're praying in in his authority, and we're praying uh, in line with his character for, for your will to be done, God, in this scenario. And Jesus says, I answer those prayers, and my Father's glorified through that. You bring glory to the Father when you pray uh, to God in the, Father, in the Son's name, and he answers. You're bringing glory to the Father in that way. But Jesus says it twice in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And what this means is, as we pray, with the heart of Christ, the character of Christ, and the authority of Christ, God the Father hears and God answers. Jesus is the way to pray to the Father. Now we don't have uh, access that's once a year into the the Holy of Holies. Now we have boldness to come to the throne of grace every single moment of the day, to cry to God in the name of Jesus. And let me say this, Richard Sibbs. again, I'm sorry, I can't help him. Uh, Richard Sibbs says this, when we enter in the name of Jesus to the throne of grace, we enter as if we're Christ. And the Father receives us as if you're him. Because his righteousness has been added to you. You and your sin and your weakness and your failure, past, present, and what's coming in this week. God the Father looks upon you with the righteousness of Christ added to your account. And he delights to see you come to the throne. And he hears your prayers. And he answers your prayers. All because of Jesus. Not because you pray well. Not because you fast well. Not because you pray many times. Not because we hold brilliant prayer meetings. Not because you're articulate. Not because you use five syllable words when you pray. But because of Jesus. That's why your prayers are answered. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. So Jesus is... All that it's about. It's all about him. Christ, Christ, and Christ. It's all about him. Our whole Christian life is just about this. Knowing him more and becoming more like him. Knowing him more and becoming more like him. That's all it is. That's the Christian life. Please, I plead with you, Union Chapel, don't make it about anything else but that. Knowing Christ and becoming more like Him. He is the way to belong to the Father. He's given you eternal life in Himself, and He's coming back with the fullness of that. He's the way to know the Father. As you read His heart in the Gospels, you're reading what God is truly like. And He's the way to pray. Access to the throne room of God because of Him. We enter in His name. Please don't make it about other things. Uh, churches like to make it all about other stuff, whether it's about future events or about dietary requirements or about the rules or legalism or morals that we have or whether it's red tape. But I know as a church, you've got to go through all the handbook and the CIO stuff. I was there. I, have, I still have triggers from that. Um, I know you're all dealing with it right now. Don't make it about that though. Don't make it about the side issues. Don't make it about the small things. Make it about Christ. Make it about Christ. And make it about Christ. And if you make it about him, he'll honor it and he'll bless it. Because the Father wants to see the Son glorified. And if you're seeking to glorify the Son by making it all about him, the Father delights in that. And the Son longs to see the Father glorified. And how is the Father glorified? By the Son being glorified. And the Holy Spirit, all he wants to do is point you to Jesus and point you to Jesus and make you more like him. So as you make it about Christ... Christ will honor it, the Spirit will honor it, the Father will honor it. It's all about Jesus, both your individual life and your life as a church. Eternal life is daily growing to know Jesus more and more. Amen.